This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Brog shall answer uh, here we are with flames spouting atop Amandine welcome to light the beacons a Lotro podcast focusing on the revamped MMO RPG Lord of the Rings online as well as related topics in books movies gaming and the lore of John Ronald Ruel Tolkien this is episode 27 and I am your host Brag of the Lonely Mountain the twist-tongued dwarf of ill repute here I am broadcasting live from the interim LTB Middle Earthwide headquarters in the first hall of Moria. After Grima's <clears throat> bath in the waterworks last week, I figured I'd better give him a chance to dry out a little. So uh, I'm looking right now from the top of the stairs down into the vast entrance hall of the first hall. And uh, there are pillars going off into the distance into the mist uh, dwarves standing atop those pillars in the interior uh, with uh, large lamps hanging down from their outstrung hands with crystal fragments still suspended, all in a pretty row. And there's kind of these flying buttresses going off to the right and to the left to a second sub-hallway section that has uh, dwarven statues flanking the ones in the center. Um, this is quite a grand entrance hall. You can imagine... Back in the uh, glory days of the elven-dwarven relationship, emissaries from Lothlorien, parties of elves in, in uh, formation, marching down the 21st hall, uh, being greeted and led into uh, you know, Zellum Melek and down into Durinsthal Hall, eventually into his throne room, as one would guess. Uh, quite the awe-inspiring function. You know, there really is... No other function that appears to be uh, apparent for the hall except as an audience chamber. And uh, given the size and scope of uh, the delving of Kazadum, it is quite an appropriately overwrought and ornate one at that. So as I look back at the entrance hallway uh, out to the Dimrill Dale, I can see the uh, some, some rubble from the entrance uh, being crashed at some point in the far distant past. The entrance is uh, uh, presided over by a giant uh, stone statue of Durin whose uh, beard forms the entranceway uh, with kind of um, uh, tree-like structures flanking the doorway, echoing the, uh, the pillars that occur further on in Zelamelech. And uh, there's a small stable here, of course, for riding to and fro the first hall, not... Uh, not a very efficient trip from the 21st hall, which is the most recent, uh, most common place to approach it from, obviously. And um, as I step out the door, the brilliant sunshine of Lothlorien greets me in the dim rolled ale. Uh, I can look down towards the star-studded surface of Keladzarum in the elven dwarven camp of Mechlerm Bizru, 
which roughly translates from the Dwarven Dictionary into Gate of the Encounter. Bet you didn't know that. Probably telling of uh, perhaps one of the the first uh, meetings between the elves and the dwarves outside uh, the door of Kazadum. And as I'm looking across the lake of Miramir, as it's also called, I can see um, a new full moon just rising over the tops of the hills to the northeast. And the sky is pinkishly dawning, or, or setting, I should say. Um, on the steps of uh, the entrance to Moria, I can see a number of uh, statues, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a number of vases uh, posed on the stairwell uh, related to a quest in the revamp of Moria, which I'll discuss later, uh, which can be decorated with flowers to celebrate the, um, the passing of those that didn't make it out to the East Gate. And looking back at the entrance to Moria, the, the door is flanked by actual pine trees, and behind it the the forms of pine trees again uh, that we described on the inside. And the entrance to the east gate of Moria is um, much more distinct and ornate, obviously, uh, as befitting the main entrance to the caves of Kazadum. And all the books and all the stories that we've ever read, uh, parties always entered from the west gate and uh, the elves of Linden and of Eregion befriending the dwarves in times past but uh, the main gate obviously was on the eastern side, and um, it is quite fantastic at that. Um, so I think I've told this story before, but look, looking out through the Dimrald Dale, I can see just in the distance the Dwarven Spire of Meeting uh, sitting at the side of Miramir, which marks the spot supposedly uh, where um, the Dwarven King first stared into the waters of Keled Zarum and saw uh, the stars in the sky uh, wreathed over his head like a crown and uh, um, spoke to him about uh, basically that is the moment of the founding of the Mines of Moria or Kazadum as uh, the dwarves would call it. So a properly historical setting and one of uh, you know obviously of great battles in the past as well uh, that saw, saw the death of um, of the grandfather of uh, of uh, the grandfather of Thorin, uh, Thror, passing away at this uh, at this gate uh, during the, one of the great battles of Moria, and um, I guess I'm waxing historically and nostalgically given my birthright, uh, and that's quite enough of that. So let's move on to our second beacon. Let's review our agenda this week. First, it's time for CRAP, Corrections, Retractions, and Apologies from last week. So in last week's podcast, I remember making a statement to the fact that the Fall of Moria session play instance was the only instance in the game where you could see the Bridge of Kazadum whole. Well, guess what? Uh, as some of you may know when you heard that, that's not quite true anymore. And I'll talk about that in a little bit in uh, one of the subsections or another beacon that's coming. Uh, viewer comments this week. Um, I did want to uh, highlight the fact that uh, uh, basically this is not a comment on the podcast, but was observing some of the discussions um, both in forums and uh, in chat in game over the last two weeks. And uh, you know, one topic that tends to come up from time to time frequently is uh, you know what happens in Lotro now that we're coming within sight of Mordor at some point when Osgiliath is released in the coming months. 
Um, you know, speculation has turned to once the ring is dropped into the cracks of doom, which we know is Canaan and it cannot be changed as much as uh, Turbine might wish it to be. Um, rune keepers be darned. Rune, rune keepers be darned. Uh, what is in store for future campaigns of Lotro beyond the events in the story of the Lord of the Rings and the conclusion of the Third Age? And there's, uh, I've seen speculated a lot of different ideas around that. There are some that say we could spend a good amount of time cleaning up Mordor and freeing slaves from its east southeastern areas around the Sea of Nern. Uh, there are some that say we could support Aragorn's uh, campaigns, which were alluded to, against the Haradrim in the far southeast. We could turn our uh, gaze north to Erebor to uh, help with the uh, scattering the factions that were assaulting the Lonely Mountain during this time, and, and maybe even you know, making a trip to clean out the, uh, the depths of Gundabad at some point again. But... Uh, I think there's another answer uh, that's out there that was occurring to me as I was discussing some of these matters with some friends this week. <coughs> and that is something that's in the game itself. Um, some of you may know the Great River region uh, has a section of the map called the Brownlands in the far eastern corner. And that is um, as close as we probably get uh, to the area of uh, Erebor in the game, unless you're counting Dol Guldur, but it's uh, much further south, and perhaps the uh, the new enclave of, of Bjorn as well. But um, as we uh, enter the brown lands, we, we see some historical sites that were surprises that were kind of fun to see, including the Lost Gardens of the Entwives, which I thought was always a nice and uh, neat lore touch to be added to the game at that point in time. Um, and as we scan the mobs that we're attacking in that area, we'll run again and again into a number of sorcerers called Sorcerers of the Blue Cast. And it has been long been speculated in the game, in case you haven't heard this rumor before, that the Blue Cast, or Cased, depending on your pronunciation, uh, might be Turbine's way of alluding to the fact that the, um, the long-lost members, the Blue Wizards of the Istari... So the colleagues of Saruman, Gandalf, and Radagast, whose names we've found out through untold tales, I believe, to be Alatar and Palando, the blue, li blue wizards, went east looking for Sauron, Sauron. And failing that, they started some magic cults. And um, these are, you know, I think fall into the realm of lore from Tolkien. You know, I, as you know, there's lore and then there's... Then there's intention, right? So uh, Tolkien never stopped fiddling with his stories during his lifetime. Some of them were finished. Some of them were unfinished, obviously. And, uh, you know, others were alluded to in notes and papers that were are still being interpreted by Chris Tolkien and the Tolkien estate uh, all these years later. But there is some reference to the fact that the Blue Wizards disappeared into the East and started some magic cults. And I think the reference um, in The Hobbit... Uh, at one point, Gandalf talks about the two blue wizards, and he can't even remember their names. It's been so long since he's seen them, which is kind of amusing. Um, but since they are referenced in The Hobbit, that does open the door from a lore standpoint for Turbine to do what it does best, which is to take little clues and hints around the game and build them out, uh, you know, to basically expand and amplify the lore. Um 
if that's you know if one sentence by Gandalf in the Hobbit isn't enough reference for us to create an entire new volume uh, where we find out what happened to those blue wiz wizards, then what is? So you know the possibilities are endless once you open that door. Um, have they been corrupted as Saruman was? Are they evil or are they still good and still fighting the good fight in the east against uh, you know minions and hordes from that direction? There's some that would speculate in the forums I said that, uh, you know, perhaps Sauron was expecting reinforcements from the East and it was only the machinations and interventions of the Blue Wizards which were able to curtail that uh, um, those reinforcements and also impact the future of the history of the, the, the lore of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so are they, are they evil or good? Maybe one of each. Wouldn't that be exciting? What if we found one that they were striving against each other and one had been corrupted? Um I think there'd be an awesome story that could be woven into the story of the Blue Wizards and obviously uh, would have uh, significant protagonists that would draw much interest from fans of the lore. Uh, a good hook for the lore hounds and plenty of room for creativity and turbine, which is one of the things they've always done best. Let me know what you think about that as a possibility for an ex-campaign after the strength of Sauron. And uh, perhaps the scouring of the Shire and a, a visit to the Grey Havens, maybe, in between? You never know. All right, so that's all I have for viewer comments this week. And <sighs> listen, guys, you know, I thought we were going to table the issue about the viewership of the podcast. And, you know, I'm not sure that some of you guys are taking that to heart. Some of you viewers out there, you know, you don't know if you're viewers, you don't know if the issue's tabled. You know, we're looking into the technology. Grima is slow on this stuff. Um, got him some training courses. He's looking into it. That's all I can say for now. For now. Okay? Thanks. So in this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game these past few weeks. We're going to review some of the quests and tasks you might need to cross off your list to re-complete Moria. We're going to discuss what happened to the epic in the epic quest line. And lastly, if there's any time remaining, we will make Grima scrub the floors of Scumfill with a toothbrush. With that, let's move on to our next beacon. Nardal is aflame. So, what have I been doing in and out of game this past couple weeks? Well, first of all, I've been playing a bit more of Hearthstone here and there. You know, I can't say I'm getting sucked in, but it is keeping my interest just enough to keep uh, kind of doing the basics right now, which is, you know, playing the base classes and unlocking the base cards for each class until you have 20 of each, basically getting them up to level 10 and uh, getting a few victories here and there to unlock some gold coins. Uh, I'm discovering the complexity of the game, I believe, is in the fact that once you do have uh, all the base cards unlocked, um, you receive others that you can mix in that are neutral and you can basically create custom decks of cards and given the amount of cards that are available in the game I think the complexity of choosing decks that fit your play style and that uh, play well together against one class or perhaps against another type of class in particular um, is the complexity of that game and probably where the depth comes in. I'm not sure how excited I am about building custom decks in Hearthstone and pursuing rankings and all the other things that you can do in there that I'm starting to learn about. But I'm having pl fun playing the base game for now and just getting more familiar with it, and that's enough for me. Uh, I have been playing also a little bit of uh, The Bridge, uh, advancing that game, just a little bit here and there, a couple minutes 
here, a couple minutes there, trying to figure out exactly how many puzzles I have left. As far as I can tell, I'm probably about two-thirds and three-quarters of the way through the game, and maybe another hour or two would polish it off. And um, in the tabletop world, uh, played a game recently that I wanted to recommend to the viewers out there, whether or not they play games. Um, it's called Ticket to Ride, and it's one of those uh, games that you'll find in a in a store like uh, Marbles or Brainasium, uh, you know, that's uh, been award-winning in the past. And the reason I'm recommending it is uh, it's not very fantasy-related. As a matter of fact, it's kind of steampunkish, set in the in the era of the uh, the great uh, you know in industrial barons of early American history. And in this particular case, you are uh, creating rail lines across the U.S. and trading in tickets on those rail lines to earn points, uh, basically, you know, racing to consume the routes in the network hubs uh, as the other people are striving to do the same. And uh, the reason I like this game is because it's it follows the two simple rules of a great game. It's very simple to learn, um, so you can get people playing quickly, not having to read instructions for an hour. Uh, but once you learn, there is an infinite amount of complexity in the strategy that you can play. It's just a nice balance of luck versus skill versus strategy um, that uh, you know enables the game to be played by multiple folks and have it be even, uh, regardless of ages. And uh, I thought it was extremely well balanced and well done. Recommend it to all out there. For anyone, uh, you know, ages, I would say probably eight and up would uh, would be able to play it without a problem and i found it very entertaining again it's called ticket to ride all right so let's move on to lotro what have i been doing this week in lotro last two weeks well first thing i've been doing is actually not in game exactly it's tangential to that it's it's observing some of the twitch streams that have popped up uh based on the sponsorship of lotro over the last couple weeks uh, so far, I've watched streams from a gentleman named K. Kyle, as well as Arathart, one of the uh, new hosts of Lotro Players News these last couple weeks. And uh, Arathart's stream featured uh, a quest to try to get a chicken into Moria. Uh, I have never seen this done. He said in his stream that he has seen a screenshot that proves that a chicken was in Moria. And I believe he has seen either a glitch or um, or a nice case of Photoshop, because uh, as far as I know, uh, the chickens cannot pass through the portal boundaries of Moria either in the east or west gate. Um, so I guess he's trying to, you know, the east gate has always been off limits to chickens. And I guess he's trying to test the fact if he can get all the way around to the east gate of Moria. I'm sorry, the west gate has always been shut. Um, you know, based on the requirements to enter through Eshad Dunan, I guess he's trying to prove that if he can get all the way around to the east gate of Moria, which I have heard people doing in-game as chickens, it's about the longest trip you can possibly make as a chicken in the game right now, um, you know, could you enter through that doorway? And I believe the answer is no. I've never seen anyone do it, never seen anyone claim to have done it. Then he came up with another theory that said, uh, perhaps you can enter a chicken into Moria by drinking from the Moria keg. Uh, the problem with that is Moria kegs are only available in the residential neighborhoods of uh, of the game, obviously, in, in housing structures, kin houses or personal houses. And uh, chickens cannot enter residential neighborhoods in the game. So again, I think an impasse. But it's fun to watch them try. And, uh, you know, playing 
playing chicken play in a Twitch stream is a good way to have uh, lots of time to focus on the chat stream and be able to comment and interact with some of the people watching. So these Twitch streams have uh, Turbine Point giveaways that are sponsored by Turbine at the end of each session, which kind of lures people in and uh, you know listening and participating. I found the chat for the streams to be fun, uh, you know, engaging players that know a lot about the game, speculating on this, that, raising questions. You know, the gameplay itself is meh. You're not going to find, you know, too challenging of a time uh, with someone on a Twitch stream doing something in the game. Um, you know, obviously it's generally PVE or non-challenging raid content uh, because the level of interaction it requires to, you know, keep the Twitch stream moving and read fo people's folks' comments in the chat and to be able to respond and interact, which is really the heart of a Twitch stream, you know, doesn't lend itself to being in, you know, a t tier two on level Orthanc grade. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is a fun way if you don't have access to the game and you do have access to a Twitch stream to stay involved with the community and, and get a quick fix perhaps of uh, watching some Lotro. I will say I believe that, you know, the hosts do a good job. I will say it probably takes a good amount of skill to play, monitor, to chat, and talk at the same time. Um, and, uh, you know, have the, the right type of personality to make it fun and engaging for all those out there. So um, big kudos and hats off to the folks that are uh, kind of on this brave new frontier for Lotro, Lotro-sponsored Twitch streams at least. Uh, keep up the good work. I think it does fill a need for some in the community. I don't know that I'm going to be chiming in that often. I, you know, I'm trying to understand what Twitch streams are all about since it seems to be a big movement in gaming. Uh, just learn more about it and, uh, you know, the focus of it and understand it a bit better. I don't really find it terribly engaging myself, but I could see doing it now and again on a lark. Um, and I definitely would not be interested in running a Twitch stream myself, I don't believe. But, again, it's positive for the community uh, and uh, good luck to all those out there engaging with it. All right, so what else have we been doing in-game, 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 in-game? Well, uh, Bragg's been working on recompleting Moria, and that's something I'll talk about in my next beacon coming up shortly. Uh, took a little bit of time and effort to do that, and uh, his deed log in Moria is now once again empty. Again, I'll touch on this later. Um, the only other thing Bragg's been doing is chipping away a little bit on the Skirmisher of Middle-Earth title, or S-O-M-E. Uh, I guess uh, since you, the emote you earn from earning that title is you know, basically telling someone to get some that uh, must stand for get S-O-M-E. So uh, I ran uh, another 21st Hall Skirm, of which I have three open out of the eight loot encounters that, uh, that are in that skirmish and got nothing again. Uh, ran a deep way skirmish after that and got a double bonus. Two lieutenants in one run that I had not gotten, which leaves one left to chip away at the deep way. And uh, I think maybe eight overall, uh, somewhere on that order. So another day, ran another 21st haul, hoping to chip away at the three remaining. The three remaining in the 21st haul, I think, is the most I have left in any one particular skirm, which is why I've been running it. But I'm going to have to skip around so I don't get too bored because I ran it again and I got nothing again. Uh, I guess that's the it's par for the curse, par for the course for trying to earn that title and uh, probably more of that ahead. And uh, if you've got the skirmish of minute, well, I'm not even going to talk about it. <laughs> if you've got it, congrats. Hats off to you. If you've got it on one, more than one character, then as far as I'm concerned, you're a little crazy in the head. 
and you know who I'm talking about. All right. Uh, what else have we been doing? Well, my Bjorning is level 61 now. Uh, he completed the 2.5.5 skirmishes in Moria, so those are now open. Um, ran the Way of Smith's solo instance, and then for the 21st Hall, put out a call to see if anybody wanted to join. And I actually got a trio of folks that we tried on uh, Tier 2. And um, one of us was a little over-level, one of us was on-level, one of us was a little under-leveled. And we ran it as a trio, and unfortunately, about uh, midway through the skirmish, we drew a frigid squall who came out and proceeded to kick our butts. <laughs> um, I think even as a healing Bjorning, I didn't have quite enough healing to deal with the frigid squall. He got us separated. Uh, you know, the three of us were, were you know, dying in chains and running out and regrouped. Um, one of the guys basically had to drop, didn't feel like finishing, so... Uh, so that was unfortunate. You know, if tier twos I consider to be pretty reasonable to do on skirms typically, but I don't know if that we just had a, a bad grouping with the pairing that we had or one of the guys maybe wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have full virtues or gear or whatever the case may be. But we did struggle in this particular instance with our friend the Frigid Squall, who I do find to be one of the tougher lieutenants uh, out there. Uh, so I ran again uh, as a duo with the other uh, remaining gentleman that was with us, and we had smooth sailing all the way through. Success! Hurrah! And I forget how much fun it can be to duo skirms or trio skirms. Um, you know, I run them solo so much more frequently. When you do a duo and your trio, you get all different lieutenants than you would get as a solo, and it's just a breath of fresh air to see some, some, uh, you know, some new faces in there as opposed to the usual bearers of blight. You know, troll wound takers and defenders of the vile. Suddenly you're getting hawk-eyed harriers, wretched falconers, hulking pounders, brood queens, etc. And starting to chip off against some of the those deeds, which are, you know, a little little more rare to make uh, make progress against. So it's a nice change of pace. Uh, so my Bjorning followed the epic into Lorien, and then back to the foundations of stone you go. Next up in him for a solo stand, from an epic standpoint, is 2.6.8, which uh, most of you will remember as New Devilry. More to come on New Devilry in the last section or beacon of the podcast. So, uh, finishing that, I'll be shortly on to the Lothlorian Three Mans, um, as they called, even though they're in Mora itself. Uh, Water Wheels of Naladum and the Mirror Halls of Lumulnar. And, uh, you know, I may call out for people to group on those because um, I am looking to group with the Bjorning in the Mori instances. But those are typically hard to find, so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, I had to give up and, and do those solo at some point sometime soon. Uh, luckily, I know the instances well, so typically the puzzles aren't a problem. It's just uh, grinding through it once again. Um, you know, I do have a desire, I'd say, to st stay near on level for Mori instances versus advancing my Bjorning character. Uh, at level 61, I can still do all those with at least a modicum of challenge. And, uh, you know, learning to group on the Bjorning is one of my goals. And uh, doing that in Moria has always been one of the best ways to do that. So, um, you know, I have a desire to advance the character and get it closer to level cap to see what else it can do. But I also know there's gear issues uh, that are still out there for the Bjorning as he gets into Rohan. And, um, you know, I think I'm going to park him for a little while and see if I can get some more Moria instance runs in before I move him along. It, uh, it hasn't been something I've had time for recently, but hopefully in the next couple weeks.
So on my minstrel, I ran a six-man Peller Gear instance uh, and had almost no need for healing. Was in War Speech almost the entire time, even as a six-man. Uh, run went very smoothly. Uh, we had one or one of the, I think, the half troll lieutenant that we were a little slow taking down and got a gold on instead of a platinum, which sets the overall award to a gold for the six-man instead of a platinum, unfortunately. But uh, it was a good run overall. Uh, gained a couple more points to sink into my big battle tree and won a supreme essence of physical mitigation. Hurrah! So that drew some oohs and ahs and appreciatives from the, from the crowd. Uh, one other person got a gold uh, piece of jewelry out of the run, which looked rather nice. Uh, with a essence slot in it. I think it was a ring. And uh, I'm almost to the point where I can get a new jewelry piece with the, the Stars of Merit that I have on board. Uh, so a couple more big battle runs of one type or another, and I should be able to do that soon. I'll have to choose which character it will but most help. Uh, I probably spent the most amount of time recently on my, my Cappy. Finished the uh, Ring Lovell prologue. Ran into a little issue there, which some of you guys may have encountered. Uh, so the Vanguard of Middle-Earth Deed requires getting Kindred rep with uh, the three reputation factions in Central Gondor. Ring Lovell, Dor Erniel, and um, Labinen. Um, so with the characters that have done this in so far, I didn't have a problem. Well, I did have a problem with one of them, and I had to get a GM to activate the quest for me. And I thought I ran into the same issue this time around. Um, I had finished Kindred, and I uh, was sitting next to the person I knew was supposed to pop up with uh, the ring over his head for the prologue quest, and it was not appearing. Um, eventually, a GM joined. I have to say the, the lag time was, was not ideal. It was probably maybe almost a half hour before they showed up. But when they did... Um, they let me know that there was a quest that I had to complete that was not complete in my deed log, or they asked me to check it in my deed log. And uh, I don't remember having to finish this quest previously, and I think it's just because the way the Kindred Rep developed, I'd actually already completed it uh, on my main brag. So the quest in, uh, in, in question is part of the epic storyline as you proceed through Dor Air Neil, um, Northeast of, uh, not Ethering, um, northeast of Linhir. It's called Sisters of the Gil Rain, and it's the quest where you're you're working with one of the river maidens uh, to repel the dead uh, as they enter her uh, domain, her her stream that comes off her river. Uh, you know, you get buffs and you beat them back in an instance, and uh, the dead decide to turn back towards you know towards Western Gondor at that point and go and hide back in Tumat. And um, I understand why they did that from a story point. Uh, it, uh, it makes sense to me that that's, you know, that's the progression. You, you have to do that before the prologue makes 100% sense from a storytelling perspective. But again, why does it have to be so opaque that you know, people know that that quest is out there and that they can earn it, but they don't know that they have to finish this precursor in order to be able to find it? And it only takes, you know digging in the forums, asking for help in chat, or getting a GM to help you realize that's the prerequisite uh, for moving forward with that deed. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been wrong before. Maybe somewhere in the deed, if you mouse over something, it'll tell you that. But I, I, if it did, I didn't find it. So write in and let me know if I missed it. So my captain completed um, 
the door Neil and you know end of the epic quest line all the way through Peller gear and uh, it's now finishing up he finished up the Labinian quest lines as well and got all his class trait points for that area and basically is down to the Labinum rep faction. It's about ham halfway through Ally to Kindred, so I'd imagine I'll be able to knock that out in the next couple days here. Um, so the thing that's bothering me is that the number of class trait points I have, I know that there's two outstanding on this tomb because I haven't done enough big battles to have earned either of the big battle class trait points. But aside from that, um, so that would leave a max of 72, I believe. And the character only has 71. So I'm missing one somewhere. And I've got to think it's probably one of the quest lines in West Rohan that I haven't finished. But the, the, the complaint to have about this, you know, Bragg fixes Lotro, um, BFL, is that um, there needs to be a UI-driven solution somewhere to tracking available class trait points in the game to take the mystery out of this process. You know, you can earn, if you go online, you'll find guides where you can earn this many through leveling, you can earn this many through class trait books, you can earn this many through class quests, you can earn this many through Western Rohan, this many through big battles, this through many through Central Gondor, etc., etc., etc. But nowhere is there a way in-game to figure out how many you have out of the total amount available and which are the ones that you're missing. And, you know, without, like, digging through your deed log to figure out, you know, which Western Rohan... Uh, quest chain you didn't you didn't drive to completion um, and you know it, it seems to me they need to provide some kind of you know as part of the uh, skill as part of the skill UI uh, pop-ups one more tab that shows which of the available class trait points um, you have earned in game and which are still available to you or still to be earned and uh, yeah this would be especially helpful with multiple tunes um, so I know people out there that only have one class at end game and they do everything whenever every quest comes out it makes it a lot easier to keep track of this stuff but there are a lot of people in game that have multiple tunes at end cap and remembering you know which ones did which quest lines in which regions which again I don't agree with as a way of earning class trait points would help solve the problem to begin with but if they're going to have it, they need an easier way for folks to track it to completion. So uh, I am hoping Turbine is listening and that perhaps we might be able to see that in a future update. My lore master is still staged in Ethering and is starting to receive rep items from my other tunes. Um, now that uh, most of the ones from my Cappy are complete. As for my other tunes, Hunter, Burglar, RK, Warden, Champ, usually I would say Nerp. But for some reason this past week I got a little little urge to go out and take my burglar for a stroll. My burglar is at level 82, and he is lang was languishing in Faldom in East Rohan. And uh, right at the apex of the quests, kind of pushing you south before they push you northwest into the Entwash Vale. And I decided it was time for some bird time. So started doing quests around Faldom. You guys remember some of these. Um, they're the Lath Bear quests off the east into the woods with the uh, the warband Swertiper or Swertiper or Swiper No Swiping, whatever you want to call them. And then uh, there's an orc camp nearby that you can go to that actually is instanced. So as you go through the, the front entrance and clean out that area, then you go up a path and there's an instance to get into the back area in the mountains and patrol around there. And there's five or six quests that are all kind of focused in that area. So it's nice, efficient leveling. 
then they have you wipe out a number of riders on the plains around the area, threatening the farms and so forth in the town. And um, then there's, of course, uh, you know, the ultimate for the area is a town attack. So there's three waves of riders that come in on each of three fronts, three waves from the north, three from the east, three from the south, and then two boss riders that you have to run in and chop down. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty long instance as a capstone for the area. And one thing I'm noticing again, you know, I was just getting into Berg Mounted Combat when the last release came out, and so I never really did it that much, just enough to get my toe wet in it. And it can be fun slash quick on horseback mounted combat for a Berg if you can get behind your prey. So if you can maneuver your prey to the point where you're riding just off their back shoulder and stabbing them back with a dagger, then it's fun because all your damage gets multiplied and he starts to melt away pretty quickly. But with the way you have to loop in behind your prey and, and the tightness of the circle you're able to achieve with your mount, it's, uh, it's hard to get in that position. doesn't happen frequently. And when it doesn't happen, mounted combat on the Berg, at least in my opinion, I think I have the light steed set up. Maybe I need to try some of the others, but it's a little monotonous and boring. He's got all melee skills. He's got um, the stratagem skill, which you hit before you enter combat. If, and if you don't get it off before you enter combat, then you can't even use it. That allows a, you know, a nice bon damage bonus to your first skill that you use as you, as, you, as you engage. And then basically everything is a series of melee skills. You know, One has a bleed, one has a little better spike damage. They all do better from behind, but it's pretty darn repetitive. Um, so, you know, I got to build out the tree and see if it gets better. But right now, I'm not thrilled with Berg Combat. If, uh, if any of you guys have tried some of the other lines, the heavy line or medium line in Berg that you like better, uh, looking for a recommendation, let me know. So my Berg Mount Combat is on to the Entwash Vale. And we'll see. Maybe I'll try to move him along a little bit, see if we can catch up to some of the guys at Endgame um, as the more and more of my tunes come to the end of Central Gondor, or at least the number I'm willing to put through the plot of Central Gondor again and again. All right, that's enough about what I've been doing in-game. Let's move on to our fourth beacon. We've arrived at Aralas, which is aflame. And in our last this week, I'd like to talk a little bit about Moria Recompletion. So what do I mean by Moria Recompletion? A lot of you guys may already be nodding your heads out there. For those who have been through the wonders and grandeur of Moria, and have, uh, over time, as your characters become overleveled, chipped away at the deeds that are available in Moria to try to clear your deed log of quests in Moria, all the different instances, all the different Slayer deeds, all the different exploration deeds. There's a lot there. Um, you may have achieved that, and then with the revamp of Moria that came out probably, I'd guess, a year and a half, two years ago now, return to your deed log to find a good number of new deeds smiling at you square in the face. And uh, if you want a clean deed log in Moria, there's nothing for it but to pack your bags with cram and return to the depths. Um, so one of the main changes in the Moria revamp that was added uh, was an addition of quite a few more quests in an area of the game that was a bit sparse on them initially, 
uh, Zellamelik and Nudmelik. Uh, both of them had a number of quest areas added that I think add a lot of fun gameplay and depth to those areas. There's such magnificent landscapes within the game. Uh, you know, not to have more reason to explore and return to them was really a bit of a crime. So very happy to see them add those quests to the game. And uh, there's a particular um, deed that's available with the revamp called Discovering Adventures in Zellum Melek. And um, on one of my tunes, I remember going through that area and suddenly having, basically, you hit a certain point, uh, spawn point for the quests, and uh, things pop up. So you turn the corner into, you know, into one of the kind of sub-areas within Nudmelek and... Um, or within Zellum Melek, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, a remote quest will just pop into your log, so you don't have to talk to anyone in the 21st Hall or the guy in the Hall of Flowing Water. It'll just appear. And I remember that happening before and going, hey, that's kind of nice. So you can just explore Zellum Melek and peer around the corners, and whenever you hit a new area, you'll get the quest for that area automatically. That's, that's convenient. I like it. Um, so I still had this deed in my main's deed log, and I realized that was the mechanic and how it worked. So I started cruising around Zellamelik, trying to find the quests that were still open that I had not yet completed. I think I had probably six to ten, at least, that I still needed for the deed. And I explored, and I explored, and none of the quests popped up. And I had to do a little more digging around online, and eventually realized that there are prerequisites prerequisite quests in the 21st hall uh, with the foreman, whose name is Mogar, M-O-G-R, kind of over by the armor barter vendors, uh, sitting at a little desk, and a guy next to him called, I think it's Rain, R-E-I-N-N. And uh, basically, Mogar thinks they're safe in the 21st hall, and their dwarves are well on the way to reclaiming Moria, and Rain is a little more uh, restrained about it and still thinks there's dangers that need to be taken into account. Um, so there are a number of little quests that Mogar and Rain send you on um, in their little tiff around how safe they are, patrolling the 21st Hall, bringing beer to fellows, doing some scouting and so forth. And Rain eventually becomes your guide uh, to lead you around um, Durin's, Durin's Hall, which is uh, just south of the 21st Hall. These are quests that used to be you know, sent you out from the 21st Hall to find and then, um, then come back and turn them in and go out to the Durance Hall again and then come back and turn them in. And what they've done now is instead move towards what I um, seem, to, seem to see as a theme in a lot of the areas that were revamped in Moria, which is to provide you a guide that basically leads you by nose um, you know, through the quests for that area. And, uh, you know, it definitely forms a more cohesive story when you're being led around by the quest giver. Uh, he's like, you know, go down to the South Passageway and you'll see me there and you show up and he's standing there and then he'll have a quest and he'll follow you for a while and then he'll point you exactly where you need to go for the next one. So they kind of lead you by nose through the area. And it does give it more story and it does make it easier for folks to figure out where they are and what they should be doing. Um, the only problem I have with it is I think it kills a little bit of the explored, ex explorer's freedom and creativity of kind of wandering the halls and, and finding these places yourselves. Um, you know, to be led through by the nose through that is basically, you know, making it, uh, you know, too easy in my opinion um, and, uh, and a little too linear too. So all the quests are linear. And the byproduct of that is if you don't do the prereqs and you don't follow the line of quests all the way to the end, 
you won't uh, be bestowed the uh, discovering adventures in Zelamelic Deed. So eventually, uh, through interactions with Rain, I find that he you know leads me to uh, explore the uh, the orc encampments at uh, I think it's called Katamazuru or something like that. And uh, sends me back to the hall, and eventually he meets an untimely demise. Spoiler alert! Um, before Moger decides it's a good idea for me to to do some more reconnoitering in Zelamelik and see what else I can find. So at that point, you will basically open and encourages you to go discover uh, quests or areas in Zelamelik and send you on your way. Um, so. Basically, the lesson learned is if you want to clean out your deed log, uh, you have to go to the 21st hall and follow the suggested progression in a very linear fashion in order to be able to open those up and uh, find those eventually. And that same technique is also used um, by a guy who leads you through some of the, the new quests in Nud Malika's area. Uh, one of the other deeds that was added to Moria during the revamp is the twist-tongued deed. Um, those who've been in Moria probably have run into some of the twist tongue quests that were always spread around in Moria. And what they've done is um, kind of uh, reinvigorated those by adding a few more and kind of connecting them together with this deed structure. So the quests are restructured and now in there are more places. Um, there were always uh, twist tongue quests. Twist tongue is the name of the dwarf, the legendary dwarf who used to like riddles. Um, there are still some in the old Silver Teen City, uh, same as they used to be. Uh, there are still some in the Flaming Deeps near the Courtyard of Durin, as there always was before. Uh, now there is a plaque in the 21st Hall, which kind of sets you on the path to discover some of these. And uh, there's also a new area in Balance Camp that has um, twisting twist tongue quests as well. And then lastly, if you finish all of those um, areas, there is a new plaque that's outside the East Gate of Moria in the Dimrol Dale, which is kind of a capstone quest that, uh, that finishes them all off and leads you to a little hidden cave in, um, in that area as well to unravel the final riddle of uh, the Dwarf Twist Tongue. So found those to be a nice addition, although... Um, I found it a little difficult because I had done some of them before and not done some of the others, and I ended up having to do a little research to figure out where the new areas were I hadn't seen before and, and revisit those. Um, you know, I went out to the Capstone Quest in the Dimmerald Dale, and it was not yet active because I hadn't finished one of the ones inside, and I had to do some more exploring to get that done. So that was a little bit of a pain. Uh, but someone who's newly entering Moria and didn't have it partially finished shouldn't have as much trouble. Uh, if you're going to refinish the Moria quests, you might as well map the new stables that are available in Tharak Bazan, which is uh, the gardens west of Jezergund, and as well as the Fanged Pit, which is the uh, giant caverned area east of Jezergund. Um, there are, of course, also as part of the revamp, a number of goats which have been spread around some of the more remote areas of Moria that allow you quick return but uh, those are only usable basically when you're finishing up the right quest. Um, so it's not like you can click on them and use them anytime. You have to have just finished a quest um, that's in that area that allows you to take that goat back. So it's basically an easy return when you finish a specific quest. But it doesn't really tell you which quest it's for. So you kind of have to be aware it's there and realize that it might be the one that you're looking for. Sometimes the quest text says, you know, take this goat for a quick ride back. Other times it doesn't. So 
Um, I think in general it's good. It does help. It does streamline things uh, for the folks who don't know Moria well and would get lost. Uh, but the only way you're going to learn it well is to stumble your own way around and find it. So I'm against it a little bit uh, from that perspective. And also I'd say finding goats in some of the areas of Moria, you know, a guy standing around with a goat, a uh, couple goats like in the bottom of the foundations of stone next to the bridge shard seems a little weird to me. You know, those are remote areas in the game. They should be remote. They shouldn't be easy to get to and a uh, little strange in my opinion. Um, so, uh, I did want to mention that as you're led through the quests of Nun Melek and Zellum Melek, eventually there are a few quests that are added in the first hall as kind of a capstone to your experience reaching the East Gate of Moria and emerging into the zone of Lothlorien. And one is to, uh, encourages you to take a glimpse, glimpse back uh, atop uh, the Bridge of Khazadun one last time um, as you re-enter the hall. And as you run, as you run towards the bridge, basically a dream sequence is triggered, where um, where everything turns into a dreamlike state as far as the graphics are concerned, much as they did with the the dreams that you experience that lead you to the Great River region uh, through Galadriel, and um, you basically get to witness a very brief segment of the Battle of Gandalf and the Balrog atop the Bridge of Khazadun. And uh, although it's not the full sequence, you do see the Balrog advancing, you see Gandalf holding his ground, and you see you know, basically a, a lot of light effects and cataclysm occurring. And this is, um, you know, again, my correction from last week is the second instance I can think of in Moria where you get to see the Bridge of Khazadum in its full glory and complete. Um, I thought that dream sequence was a very nice addition to kind of uh, cap off your Moria experience and let you witness an area of the lore that you uh, hadn't seen a glimpse of previously. So well done, Turbine. And if you haven't experienced that, I'd go back and complete Moria and take a look at it. After that was done, I had but one thing left in my deed log, a, lo a lone slayer deed that had not been completed, and I can't remember if they added to it, um, if it was there before and I'd ever finished it, but it was Dragonets. And uh, there's a good little farming area of Dragonets in the silver old Silvertine City in the western parts of the Silvertine, and then southern parts of the Silvertine Loads um, that have about 8 to 10 that spawn right in that area, which is about the best concentration you can find in Moria. Used to be that folks would camp out there and, and fight over those spawn points uh, back in the day when um, the zone was uh, much more traveled. But nowadays, you can probably have it all to yourself. If you don't, just group up and work on it together. Once again, the Moria Deed Log is empty. Enjoy your Moria Empty Deed Log, and let me know if you have any fun experiences returning to the depths of Kazadun. Ah, uh, here we are at Minrimon. Now word from our sponsors. Have you got Grodbeg in your nursery? Ship rats in your lighthouse? Spiders in your Tunzelgund? Have larval worms permeated your pit of iron? The next time you have a pest problem, you need to call on the Greyhammer's Pest Control Patrol. We will hammer out all of your pest problems, no matter what the zone you find them in. When we take care of business, you will know about it. For the Greyhammer's! Every single time. Neeker Breakers? For the Greyhammer's! Harvest Flies? For the Greyhammer's! Bog Lurkers? Greyhammer's! 
Wham! The Greyhammer's Pest Control Patrol. The next time you need something killed, and you need everyone to know about it. Let's move on to our sixth beacon, Callanhad. Callanhad's a flame. Flame with my passion. I want to talk just a, for a couple minutes this week about, um, about epic instances in the game. And the theme is, where have all the epic instances gone? Long time passing. Um, if you look back in the history of the game, the epic quest line has always been one of the strongest threads reinforcing Lotro. Uh, one of the high points in most people's experiences the skill with which they wove you around the central story but created your own narrative and the depth of the storytelling involved in the epic quest, you know, which has always been free up until recently, um, is something that, uh, you know, it's been always been a strength of the game. So if you look back at each of the major volumes in the past, you know, certain instances come to mind that were part of the epic quest line. For example, in Shadows of Angmar, uh, the Fire and Ice quest, you know, first you go on little excursions with Legolas and Gimli uh, individually as part of the epic quest line, and eventually it uh, you know culminates in the fire and ice, you know basically mini instance where you go into um, you know the treasury of Helligrod and you find the uh, the um, you know the pillars that are causing evil and uh, allowing the the uh, the Black Rider to ensorcel the zombie uh, dragon. Thorog. And for those of you familiar with it, you know, it's a challenging, involved, and complicated instance in a very cool setting. Um, there's another instance later on uh, in the epic quest line where you're exploring the ice caves of Forakel as they're collapsing around you and racing someone to try to find shards of the ring Narquil. Um, there's an instance in Anuminas where you have to uh, basically try to steal back a Palantir from uh, Marathiel. Uh, it's not exactly the epic quest line, but the Tomb of Elendil as the capstone for the quests in uh, in the you know ev even dim area is uh, you know could have been an instance in and of its own right if they had ever converted it. Uh, as you proceed, there's session play that goes on in the Karn Doom guardhouses. Um, you know, as Karndoom guards and, you know, rescuing, um, rescuing prisoners there. Uh, there's the storytelling that occurs in past ages as you travel through um, the hidden delving of Delasad, where you find out, you know, what happened with Sarah Oakhart. Uh, there's session play that uh, happens in Forkel as you learn more about the rangers and their journeys with Arvidwe. And then as we move into the Mines of Moria expansion, there's uh, sequences where you have to find the uh, back hidden entrance to the throne room of Durin to try to sneak up on Mazog. There's the throne room instance itself where you have an assault on it um, in order to confront and capture him. There's the new devilry instance, which I talked about a little bit earlier in the game, 2.6.8. Um, you know, available through the reflecting pools. A lot of people were running it to try to earn the the cloak of shadow and flame back in the day. Um, but uh, you know, very involved instance. You know, one of the more elaborate um, you know environments ever built for an epic quest instance, I believe, in the game. Uh, you know, very very ornate and very cool and very 
very evil-ish as a you know a lead-in to later on what happens in the Foundations of Stone and Darnabagud. You've got the Waterworks and Luminar instances that were built into the Epic Quest line. Uh, the Drowned Treasury instance, which is, you know, I think it's 2.4.7, which is extremely involved and, you know, ends with a boss fight with the Watcher. You've got the Moria skirmishes, which were, um, you know, eventually not, initially not skirmishes, but six-man instances. Um, eventually, as you get into Mirkwood, there's, uh, you know, the instances that take you through the swamp and the spider's nests with Mazog. There's an instance where you penetrate the tunnels below Dol Guldur, following in the steps of Gandalf and, and his uh, elf guide. And there's an instance where you have to rescue Bori from the dungeons of Dol Guldur, which is basically, again, an instance in and of its own right. Uh, even as you moved into the early stages of Volume 3, um, in, the, in the Absence questline, uh, there's an instance where you follow the Thrandir and through the caves of Forkel to find Gun An. Um, there's the uh, the Rift of Nazgursu skirmish, which was built into the epic quest line. Uh, as you get down to Enidwaith, there are instances in the tunnels below Nars Peak. Uh, there's instances in Enidwaith in the caves of the dead there, and even a session play for Gondor, where your first first steps into Gondor, where you. Uh, find out about Isildur and the Stone of Erech and, uh, you know, the betrayal of the mountain men. Um, as you got into the southern zone of Dunland, there's a great instance in Wolf's Cleft that was kind of a uh, uh, a new foray into into technology for them that, uh, you know, eventually led to some of the breakthroughs uh, representing, you know, large groups of mobs and big battles. And there's, of course, the, the whole quest line that was created around the area in the pits of Isengard underneath the Tower of Orthanc. And then, as you get into Rohan, I have to say there's some compelling storyline quests as far as session plays glow. Uh, session plays go with the Fellowship. And there are a few other exceptions. Uh, one that comes to mind is the final stand against uh, Nurzum in Wildermore, that's, you know, kind of a mini instance, not much to it, but, um, you know, something, uh, kind of a boss fight at least, and a little bit of complexity. But I feel like the rest of the instances in Eastern and Western Rohan that are related to the epic story, and now in Gondor as well, have fallen into uh, kind of a repetitive pattern where, um, you know, you do some questing, you know, you find that there's a threat in the area, it's usually an orc camp, or orcs are moving upon the town, and you have to ready the defenses. And so one of two things happens at the end of the quest lines for that quest hub. One, either you uh, need to attack the orc camp and move your way through and, you know, defeat the leader or, you know, rescue the prisoners, or you have to defend the, you know, the settlement of man from the orcs that are escaping it. So either kind of a defense over an offensive thrust. But those instances, you know, you have some companions that you're fighting with, but they're you know, basically against almost normal level mobs, you know, maybe a leader that has double the hit points. And it's using settings that are already within the game and that aren't that epic to begin with, really. You know, what's epic about um, an orc camp sitting in an open field? You know, they, they throw a bunch of wagons around, they put up some banners and tarps and tents, you know, throw in a couple treasure chests here and there and some, some shields and spears. And, you know, all of a sudden it's an epic setting for, for the capstone instance for, you know, either the epic quest line or for the quest hub for that area. 
And it seems like it's happening kind of again and again and again. So I know we're moving away from group content in the game and now returning to it, thankfully, but we were moving around from group away from group content in the game. Uh, but just because there are no new instances does not mean that things have to get this monotonous um, as far as just using the general areas in the landscape and telling a little story on it. Um, is this, you know, it makes me wonder, is this perhaps because as we entered Rohan, our journey with the existing ends, uh, events in the book became much more closely entwined and it allowed for less creative freedom. Um, you know, Shadows of Angmar is a completely different storyline that took us away from the Fellowship and, uh, you know, taught us more about the history of the, you know, the threat from the north. The Mines of Moria is the footsteps of the Fellowship, but they have basically left when we got there, and there's a whole auxiliary storyline around how Moria is still threatened by the Sorcerer and Dol Guldur and what's going on in the depths, um, you know, that's, that's threatening the dwarves, uh, all the leftover threats with the Watcher and so forth. But as we're getting into Rohan, we're, we're starting to get into areas of the story that are more closely in time with the books, especially Western Rohan and now Gondor. And I think it's allowing Turbine a little less creative freedom with their own storytelling. You know, there's constraints of the lore and the landscape, um, or perhaps even the timeline, that are making things a little more generic. You know, how epic can something be if you have to do, you know, if it has to all happen in the course of two to three days? <laughs> you know, and, and Rohan is big, open, sweeping plains. So I'm always excited when they take us back underground or into a castle or dungeon-like setting. You know, Helm's Deep comes to mind, the Pass of the Dead, obviously. You know, the Pits of Iron in Dunland, um, Cave of the Avorum to some degree. You know, but areas that have a little more spice to them, a little more depth, a little more creativity. The centers of the towns really are the centers of, uh, of you know, are ornately done and complex, but they're you know they're not dangerous areas. They're not they're not fortresses or bastions of evil. Most of those are just uh, you know, open camps in the fields. Um, one of the things I liked about Central Gondor was when they had the the lighthouse that was taken over by the the, the forces of evil because that at least had a little more depth to it, little little more cool setting, um, you know, with what you did there to some degree. Um, so I just I think Termine needs to put the epic back in the epic story a little bit. It's a good story, uh, but it's it's using areas that kind of we've already been exposed to and characters that we already know. And uh, I'm just not finding it as compelling as or uh, engaging as some of the things they've done in the past that I mentioned earlier on in uh, in my discussion. So, uh, you know, not saying it's not worth doing. It's still one of the best parts of the game. I just uh, wish they'd find a way to put uh, a bit more depth, expose us to some more exciting challenges and, uh, you know, maybe some new settings that uh, you know are taking a bit more effort. I want our journey to be as compelling in its own right as the events uh, with the main characters from the books. That is my hope. So, you viewers out there, let me know what you think about being viewers. And uh, apart from that, a fairly short segment before we move on to our seventh beacon, Halafirian. Halafirian is a light. And that means it's time for Blessed Relief. Brings us to the end of the 27th episode of Light the Beacons. Whew. I'd love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. 
You can contact me at braggsonofballon at gmail.com. That's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for being allegorical. On Facebook or Twitter at Bragg Son of Ballon. My website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request that you take the time to create an iTunes review. If perchance you are so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So, I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, son of Balance, signing off. Baruch Kazad! And remember, the next time you emerge into the brilliant sunshine of Lothlorien, only to be told by some plated-headed elf, blah, 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 to get back down there, that whole boy. Don't despair. Light the beacons. <laughs>